Yes, please be seated and open your Bibles to John chapter 11, please. John chapter 11. I uh, thank the Lord for the Christian school here and for the students of the Christian school. It's exciting to see you all learning and being in this environment. I grew up in a Christian school environment, and I'm very grateful for it. And um, there's a lot of benefits to having this kind of rearing. It gives you and exposure to the true reality that God says, uh, rather than all the things that do not add up to anything. Uh, Lies of the devil, lies of the world, lies of the flesh. When I was young in my Christian school upbringing, I was raised to uh, try to say things as truly as you possibly could, whatever you saw, to, to be honest and be open about it. And, and because I was in this kind of a world, when I got exposed to people who were not like that, it very much struck me as odd. I remember one time we were on a family vacation down to uh, a beach area, and we went to this place that was called a rat race. It was supposed to be a fun entertainment type thing. And uh, this person had a flat area, and they put these movable walls up in the shape of a maze. And uh, you were supposed to start at one end, go into the middle of this maze, get a stamp of a piece of cheese on your card, and then run out. If you did it in under a minute, you got uh, a t-shirt to show the rat race or whatever like this. So I thought, boy, this is great. We're going to do this. But when you walked into the, the entrance of this, rate, of this maze, there was a, a list of rules. And there weren't that many, but one of the main ones on that list was do not climb on the walls. Well, these walls were wooden, and they were, they were overhead height for most of the people that were in there. And um, they could be moved. So if you climbed on them, they could fall over, and it might, it might squash someone on the other side, or you might get hurt yourself. So simple rule, don't climb on the walls. Well, I'll never forget, I, I walked in on this entrance, and I'm walking around. I'm getting totally lost. I have no idea where I am. And I turn this corner. And as I turn this corner, I see two boys about my age, probably 14 or 15. And they are hands up, head over, feet off the ground. What are they doing? They're climbing the wall. And as I, yeah, they're cheating. They're climbing the wall, right? So they're trying to see where they're supposed to go. And they are climbing the wall. As I turn this one corner of this longish corridor, one of the employees who worked there, and it was supposed to enforce the rules, the people who are climbing the wall, he came around the other end, and he sees these two 14-year-old boys about the same time I do. So he looks at the two boys and says, boys... No climbing on the walls. And I could not believe what I heard these boys say next. As they are hands up, head over, feet off the ground, they looked back at the employee and said, we're not climbing these walls. And I thought to myself, that is ludicrous. I mean, there's no other description for what they're doing, but they just say it anyway. You know, they just say, we're not doing it. He said, well, okay, get down. But it, it still bothers me. I can't imagine why they would say that. My brother was in law enforcement, and one time he was working at an airport. And during the screening at the airport, they found someone who was trafficking drugs through the airport. They pulled the gentleman over, and they, they searched him. And in his sock, they pulled out some narcotic drugs. My brother questioned him. He said, sir, uh, we found these drugs in your socks. And, of course, he said, these aren't my, these aren't my drugs. He said, but, sir, we found them in your socks. So he said, they're not my socks. <laughs> Denying reality. Now, we have been talking about, Brother John specifically, been talking about truths that are reality. Jesus comes and tells us this is truth. 
And it's just as ludicrous as those two boys or the guy with the socks by saying, well, no, that's not what's happening. Well, no, that's not real. No, we're the ones who aren't conform- conforming to reality. We're the ones who are being confused by things that really aren't confusing at all. So we've been talking about how we should trust the Lord and what he wants to do. This, this closing session now for the morning, I want to look at a, a, an account from Scripture in John 11 that gives some practical, simple ways for us to see how we can trust the Lord in a, in a more nuts and bolts type way for the things that he's promised to do and for the things that he says are true. John chapter 11 then. John chapter 11. And we want to read just a few verses. If you recognize the chapter, this is Lazarus in his illness and his uh, death. Mary and Martha write to Jesus and ask for help. Jesus waits for four days, comes when when Lazarus is already dead. And verse 20 says, And Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, Well, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am resurrection. And I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Martha thinks she's seeing a reality. When instead Christ is coming and telling her, This is the reality. I am the resurrection. I am the life that is more real than anything else in Martha's life. Nothing was as real as that, but she didn't know it. She didn't know it. And what I want us to do this morning is to take some of these things we've been hearing over the last two days, and in this opportunity right before we go to lunch, to say, Lord, how do I, how do I take in a practical way these realities, these truths, and how do I say, Lord, that's real over everything else? This is what the Lord is doing in Martha's life. I believe it's what he wants to do in our lives. Let's ask him to do it. Father in heaven, would you help us to comport to your realities? Everything we walk on, all the ground that's here and everything that's around us will be burnt up one day. It will not last, but your word abides forever. Your realities don't ever change. They are the most real thing we can ever come in contact with. Lord, I pray that as you taught Martha, you teach us. Give us eyes to see it and hearts to say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Martha is in an interesting situation where she had called on Jesus for help and did not get the help that she thought would happen when she called on him. And don't many of us find ourselves in that same situation. Please remember that whenever the Lord is working, as we're praying, we're asking for things and he's working, whatever he does is going to be better than what we hoped he had done. I read a book about prayer uh, and it was an anonymous book, but it was some powerful things. And one of the things that the author said was, I need to realize that there is nothing happening in my life right now, but that if I saw it as God sees it, I would want it as he's giving it. And, and Martha 
is going to get to see some wonderful things from the Lord, but it's not really what she wanted, what she thought was going to happen. So she had written the letter to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, the one whom you love is dying. When Jesus comes, he tells her, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. We probably should have just closed the book right there and say, okay, great, let's go to the grave. <laughs> wonderful, let's, let's, go have, let's go see it happen. <laughs> okay, wonderful, he's going to do it. It's not going to be in the way that Martha thought was going to happen. But Martha doesn't do that. She doesn't just naturally say, okay, if he's going to rise again, well, then I'm going to stop crying because he's going to rise again. No, she, she does something a little sophisticated like many of us do. She goes, well, I know, you know, eventually uh, that, that something positive will somehow happen, right? She said, I know there's a resurrection. Jesus says, oh, good. You know me? I am the resurrection. I am life. He that believeth in me, though we are dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever believeth in me, shall, liveth and believeth in me, shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Do you realize that what Jesus is telling Martha, she needs right then. She needs right now. She doesn't need it at the resurrection of the last day. She needs it on that day, in that time, in that place. And what the Lord is telling you today through his word, what the Lord is telling you when he works in your heart as he guides you into all truth, you don't just need it eventually. It's not a doctoral study. It's not a classroom, some kind of experience where you can write a nice report and have it all written up right nice and, and typed out. You need this right now. But John mentioned that this, just a few minutes ago. He said, I opened the word and the Lord showed me what I needed right now. And that's the Christian experience. That's what he's doing. He's speaking to you, not so you can actually write a report at the end of the study, so that you can see it right now and access right now what he wants you to have. It's not an eventual thing. Christ is meeting your need. Christ is meeting Martha's need even when she doesn't appreciate it and doesn't know it. And that's what he's doing for us today. He's meeting our needs. He's ministering to what we actually need for our life. Christ is not just resurrection and life. He's our life. He's our life. We cannot get along without him. And so what he's giving us is what we need. What he's telling us from his word is what we must have. What, what he is giving us of his grace is better than our life's blood. And it, and it is so necessary that we know that what Christ is telling me meets my need. That's what Martha had to see, and she didn't. She had this nice nuanced way of putting it off to later and saying, oh, that's a nice thing. That's good to hear. Maybe one day that'll come in handy. How about today, Martha? How about right now? How about you listen to me now and take what I'm giving you and watch me meet your need? When you and I approach the Word of God and we approach times like this, times of personal study, times of corporate study, listen, we come with desperation sometimes. We come with eagerness. But we ought to have this, this mindset of, okay, I need what he's about to give me. I need it, and I want it. And I'm not going to put it off or, or nuance it away. I'm going to actually take it. He's telling it to me because I need it. Not only is he telling it to us because he needs it, not only is he talking to Martha because she needs resurrection, he's talking to Martha because he loves her. Turn over to the beginning of the chapter. There's a little bit of backstory here as they describe Lazarus' illness in verse 1 and, and who Mary and Martha are and how they're his sister's. 
Look at verse 4. This is, a, this is an interesting verse. Jesus heard that um, Lazarus had been sick. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Now, that's a great thing. It's written up here, and we're talking about glorifying God. It's a wonderful thing to think of. But it, couldn't it almost come off as cruel? Couldn't it almost come off as, like, indifferent? Oh, I'm glad he's sick and on his deathbed and is going to be rotting for four days because I will get glory from it. Couldn't it come off that way if you're going through a, a tough thing? But you know that Jesus does not get glory at anyone's expense? He doesn't. You know, if someone goes to the Olympic Games, if he wins the gold medal, he wins it to the detriment of everyone else in the race. But do you know that when Jesus goes and gets a victory, he does it to the benefit of everyone else with him? He doesn't get glory at your expense. He gives you far more than you ever gave. I don't know if we'll get to this on Sunday, but in the parable of the talents, where he gives everyone the same talent, and the one goes out and hides it, but the other two went out and invested it, and one got five talents, and one got ten talents, he says, okay, I gave you this, this little bit of money, and you took it, and you made it into ten times that amount of money. So here, have ten cities. <laughs> Do you see the difference there, the exponential difference, what he's doing? He's saying, I, I gave you a little bit of investment, and, and you did pretty well with it. Here, have ten times the, the amount you could ever imagine. Look at this. It's huge. See, Jesus doesn't say, okay, you know, I've got this difficult situation for you. You're going to go through it, and uh, boy, uh, you know, you might break even. No, no, no. He doesn't get glory at your expense. He doesn't. He gives you far more than you could ever imagine through it. He's no miser. And so to avoid that thinking, I think, when John writes this down, he puts in verse 5. It's kind of an aside, but it's so important right at the beginning of the book. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You have to have that set up, first of all. You have to realize that not only is what Jesus is telling you meeting your need, what Jesus is telling you, he's telling you because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you completely and fully, and we have to be confident about that. And when you look at the chapter, some interesting things happen in this chapter. You have to realize that all of it's happening because Jesus loves, and he starts the list with Martha. Because while Lazarus is the one who was sick and died and buried and raised again, it's actually Martha he's spending the most time with. It's Martha that's the one that he's actually working with and bringing her through to faith to believe him in a very practical way for something really, really big. It's very important to know that he loves us. It's very important that we see that here about Martha because there's some interesting things that happen. And, um, you ever have a, I have a cell phone. It's not with a mobile phone. It's a new one and I don't like it. It's, it's, uh, it's not a smartphone. I use a little tablet and then I use a dumb phone. So I have this dumb phone and it's really dumb. Uh, <laughs> I put it in my pocket and uh, I, I ended up having to put it on a carrier because it, when it was in my pocket, if my kids would sit on my lap or anything would squeeze against it, if it held a certain button down long enough, it would call 911, the fire department or whatever. <laughs> I, t- they ca- I called them almost every day. I mean, it was happening all the time. But do you ever have that where your phone will ring somebody and you don't know it and they're listening to you? You know, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't have that in this day. Imagine Jesus or one of the disciples has this mobile phone in his pocket, and, he, and it rings Martha's phone. And Martha's overhearing this conversation in the background. And she overhears Jesus. Look at verse number um, 14. Jesus said to the disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now get Martha. She's on the line. She says, Lazarus is dead, 
and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. You're laughing. I think this is heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean, imagine, imagine seeing that. It's no wonder that John, when he wrote this down, he had to write in the beginning, Jesus loved Martha. Got to get this straight. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. He loves these people. Because when you get to verse 14 and you read, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Whoa. You know, if you were on the other end and you heard the one you cried out to for help say that, undermine you. That's why it's so important that no matter what's happening, some amazing and strange things happen in this chapter. Really, really unnatural, unusual. So it's so important to have it settled. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. 1 Peter 5, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's, he's talking to you to meet your need. He's talking to you because he loves you. When Jesus goes to the graveside to deal with the problem that Lazarus has because he's, his problem is he's dead, and he goes to deal with that problem in a very amazing way. As he's walking there, John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. And all the people that were around that were there to mourn, they said, oh, look at how he loved them. Look at how he loved them. Now, you know, if I were Jesus, and you know the story, correct? You know that Jesus goes to the grave and he raises Lazarus from the dead. But if I were Jesus, I don't think I'd be crying here. Um, you ever have a, if you have children and um, you got a surprise for them, and they don't know you've got this great surprise for them. You got it behind your back or you've got a hit away or whatever. And, uh, and you walk into the house or you walk into where the kids are and they're upset about something. And, and they're really bothered by it. And it's kind of like, okay, just stop crying long enough. In two seconds, you're going to be thrilled with what I got behind my back. You know, if you just stop whining for a second, you're, you're, never mind this. I'm not even going to do that anymore, you know? It's like uh, sometimes it happens like that. But anyway, you know, I have this smile on my face that you don't know what's about to happen, but you're really going to be happy in like 30 seconds. Just, just hang on. And that's what Jesus must have been knowing, right? Martha, you're crying. And Mary, you're crying. And I hear you're weeping, but... I kind of want to laugh because it's going to be great in just a minute. Watch this. But he doesn't do that. He, he, he comes into this scene of mourning and he joins it fully. You know why? Because he loved them. And you know, for you and me, he knows that heaven's just a heartbeat away. And he knows exactly when we're going to get there. He knows how great it is. But he takes what we're feeling so seriously that he joins us in feeling it, even when he knows it's going to be over in just a minute. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus would come to where this gravesite is and join them in their weeping and join them in their sorrow, when in about two minutes, they're all going to be laughing. And I think that's helpful to see how much he loves us. I think it's helpful to see how much he joins with us in our experiences, even though they're so finite and limited and they don't last very long. He still takes them as serious and real. It's not trite to him. It's not a game. It's not a game. It's real. And he means it that way. And, but it's, it's such a small thing. <laughs> He's going to do something so big. Jesus is speaking to us because we need him. He's speaking to us because... He loves us. He's speaking to us because he wants us to believe. When you look back at verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection. He's talking to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You know, if we were going to have a seminary class, 
We could have a seminary class on the doctrines that are impacted by this statement and study for a whole semester and be happily employed in it. There's a, there's a lot in here. There's a lot of meat in here. There's a lot of deep things in here about the nature of God, and the nature of man, the nature of eternal life, and how he can impart it to people and, and all of these things. But do you know this is not a seminary classroom that Martha's in? This is a, a mourning house. This is a graveside. This is a difficulty. And Christ brings these great big things to those really rough places. And he does that for us too. He brings these great big realities to these really rough places so that we get them right there. We need them right there. Martha doesn't get to sit back and and, uh, cross-reference and get out a Greek text and and start to see all these different things. She doesn't get to do that. It's, it's, It's coming to her in the middle of life, and that's how it comes to us too. It comes to us too in the middle of all these things happening, and Christ interjects his greatness into it. And then he asks her this question. I'm resurrection. I'm life. All of these things. Martha, do you believe this? And Martha has an interesting answer. She starts out well, verse 27. She says, yay, Lord. That's good. Yes, Lord. But then she says something interesting. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now, this is a good statement, and it's true. Peter made a similar statement a few chapters earlier. Uh, He said, you're the Christ, Son of God, which come into the world. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, my Father, which is in heaven. So he gets commended for saying this. He gets commended for realizing this. It's a true statement. But when Martha says it, Jesus doesn't say anything to her. There's nothing following that statement. Is that what Jesus asked Martha? He said, Martha, I'm resurrection and I'm life. Do you believe this? She says, yes. But she really should just say no. Because she doesn't believe what he just said. We'll see that in a moment. She believes good things about the Lord. She believes true things about the Lord. But she does not believe what Jesus is telling her about himself in her life right now. She doesn't. Now, in part, we could forgive Martha for this, right? We could say, okay, look, it's really tough. And she's, she's lost her brother. Uh, she has this difficult time. She's confused, perhaps. In part, we could say it's, it's understandable that she wouldn't get it. But, you know, Jesus takes her through to a place where she will believe this. As they go to the, to the, to the graveside, look over at verse number uh, 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Now, this is the moment where Martha uh, has an opportunity to connect what Jesus said in the beginning with what's going on in her life right now. It's a confrontation time for her to get it. It's understandable if she doesn't get it earlier, but now is the time for her to, to remember what Jesus just told her and say, ah, that what he said then applies to this now. Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, are you going to believe me now? Are you going to believe me in this situation right now? And the answer to that question is, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Look what Martha says to Jesus. He says, take away the stone, take away the stone. And Martha, 
the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. He's telling her, your problem is still the same, Martha. I asked you if you believed if I'm resurrection and life, and here I am, resurrection and life, me, resurrection and life, and I'm standing outside of the grave where your brother is, and I want you to believe that I'm resurrection and life so you see the glory of God. I want that for you, Martha. Believe this. And Martha goes, I don't believe this. You roll that stone away, it's not resurrection and life behind there. It's a rotting corpse, and it stinks. And it's embarrassing. And it's a shame. And it's already bad enough he's dead and I've lost him. Why do you have to do this? Why do you have to make it worse? Why do you have to make it worse in front of all these people? Why do you have to compound my misery? Why are you doing this? Martha, do you believe on resurrection and life? This isn't about a, a theological lesson, Lord. This is me. This is hurting. And the truth of the matter is, although she said to him, Yea, Lord, she really should have said, No, Lord. I don't believe it. And when she gets to the point of decision, she proves she doesn't believe it by saying, do not roll away that stone. It's going to be embarrassing. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter number 12. I want to show you an example, uh, another example of how she could have responded to a similar situation where God is showing his reality in the middle of a physical trial and difficulty. This is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul has what he calls this thorn in the, in the flesh. Look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know precisely what that was. It could be a physical ailment. It could be some uh, particular trouble or trial. But look at how he describes it. The messenger of Satan <laughs> to Buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Wow, this is a very powerful description. Paul saying, okay, I've identified a problem. I've identified a trouble that I have in my life. I'm going to call it a thorn in the flesh. And it is the messenger of Satan to beat me up. Wow, powerful. He said in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now, when we read that, we think, okay, maybe he brought it up three times in a prayer request in a group meeting. But I want you to... I want you to kind of think of it in more of a, uh, a story form. Let's imagine the Apostle Paul is there in the city of Antioch. And we're imagining here. It's, it might not have been this way. But let's imagine he's there in Antioch. And they're all together ministering and serving the Lord. And he says, boy, this thing, this thorn in the flesh, this is killing me. And he gets down and, and he, he prays fervently. He says, Lord, this is Satan's messenger. Take this thing from me. And he's praying. And you know what, you know what happens next in the church? The Holy Spirit says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work where to I've called them. <laughs> and so Saul gets up, and he goes with Barnabas. And they go on the mission trip, and they go, and they come back. He's back there in Syria again. He goes, you know, that was a great trip, and a lot happened. And wow, that was a wonderful what God did. But boy, this messenger of Satan's killing me again. Lord, Lord, would you take this messenger of Satan from me? Would you, would you release me from this thorn in the flesh so that I can serve you better? And then the Lord, there's a problem with Barnabas and Saul. And okay, so let's go with Saul. Let's go to another mission trip. He goes and he comes back to Syria and like, Lord, here I am. Please take this. And then he gets the Lord's reality delivered to him. Now, we don't know how the scenario worked out, but I want you to imagine something that personal and that strong that the Apostle Paul is working through. And he's saying, okay, this thing in my life, this thorn in my flesh, flesh is buffeting me. It's beating me up. And I'm asking God three times, take this away from me. 
in answer to those prayers, in answer to Paul's beseeching in their movement, the Lord says in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful truth. It's a wonderful reality. But I want you to note Paul's incredible response to this. Imagine this man crying out to God for release. Please, Lord, take this. Please, Lord, take this. Please, Lord, take this. And the Lord says, my grace is enough for you. My strength and perfect in weakness. Oh, Lord, thank you for this thing. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches and weakness. I'm, I'm happy about it. it. I was down here begging you to take it away, and I'm so excited about it. Can you see the incredible change? What happened? God told him, here's the reality. Jesus said, here's the truth. Here's what really is. I really am more than enough for you. My grace really is more than enough. It really is sufficient. And my strength really is made perfect in weakness. And the Apostle Paul, in all the earnestness that he was praying with, saying, oh, I don't want this thing. Take it away, is now saying, oh, Lord, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. And that is the confession of a man who says yes to the revealed reality of Jesus Christ. Those are the words of a person who, with all the ardor a human would have to have relief from a trouble, would hear what God says about it and say, you're right. In the battle between what you say and I say and I see, you win. What you say is true. Your reality is right. Let's take that response now, and let's go back to the garden where Lazarus is dead, back to the tomb where they are, Martha's there. Let's imagine, let's go back to John chapter 11. Let's take the response the Apostle Paul had. The Apostle Paul is in this difficult trial. He's asked for relief. The Lord comes with revealed truth. Paul says yes to it. It changes his whole perspective. Let's, let's now look at Martha. Martha's going through this difficult trial. Lazarus is sick. She asks for relief through the letter. Jesus comes and gives revealed truth of who he is in her life right now. And they're at the graveside. And Jesus says, take ye away the stone. And let's say that Martha has the proper response. Let's say Martha has the same response that Paul has. You know what she does then? She's standing there next to her brother's grave. Jesus says, take away the stone. And she says, wait, Jesus, he's resurrection. He's life. My brother is behind that stone and he's dead. He needs to be in contact with resurrection and life. Roll away the stone. Get that stone out of here. I'll push. Come on, let's get the stone out. Let's get my brother in contact with resurrection and life, and then everything's fixed. Yes, roll away the stone. That's what she would have said if she believed it. But she didn't believe it. She said, it's, it's going to be embarrassing going to be a mess. It's going to be a shame. People are going to talk bad about us. And my last memory of my brother is going to be this rotting, stinking corpse. Which proves she didn't believe it. You see, a lot of us have this same problem. We have, we have this sin problem. We have this difficulty behind a stone. And we think, well, I got to keep that stone there. Because if people saw it and smelled it, and, ugh, it'd be embarrassing. 
when what you really need is to get the stone out of the way so that resurrection and life can change everything. So that resurrection and life can animate the death and make it alive again. Now, how many have ever been to a cemetery? Raise your hand. You ever been to a cemetery? Walk through. Okay. Saw all the stones, all the markers, the graves. Ever seen anybody get up? No. You know, all the times you go to the cemetery and you see those stones there and they're undisturbed. It's a nice place. You know, it's quiet, peaceful. And you see all those undisturbed stones. It reinforces in your, in your mind the idea when you go down there and you're in there, you don't come back. So Martha standing outside the grave of her brother can kind of be somewhat forgiven, right? Because she had seen these things before and, and nobody ever gets out again. You know, it's a, it's a final thing. But Jesus had told her something that changes all that, and she needed to listen. Now, here's the thing for us. You and I have seen case after case after case in our own lives where we do not get victory and where sin beats us up and kills us. But do you know what? He's told us a truth that changes all that. And though we can say, boy, you know, I just, I just know that I fall when this happens. I just know that we don't get the victory. I just know that we don't see revival. I just have seen it over and over and over again that what I hoped would happen doesn't happen. And then Jesus speaks, and we have to listen to him because it changes all of that. It changes all of that. You see, our reinforced ideas of defeat based on our, upon, our, upon our experiences must be totally transformed by what Jesus says is real, by what Jesus says is true. And our response to those scenarios shouldn't be the same anymore because Jesus changes everything. He's resurrection. He's life. And nothing's the same anymore. When Jesus speaks to an issue, our response must be like the Apostle Paul. We can be as real as we are and honest. We should be as honest as we can be. Lord, this is a messenger of Satan beating me up. It's killing me. But then he says, my grace is sufficient. My strength is perfect in weakness. And we say, oh, yeah? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That's great. I'm excited about it now. And I'm going to respond as if it's true because it is. Jesus asked Martha, do you believe that I'm resurrection and life? And he asks you. He asked me. He says, do you believe, do you believe that, that I am uh, seated above principalities and powers? Do you believe that I'm always with you? Do you believe that, that uh, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Do you believe that uh, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you believe this? And he's driving it home. And it's the, it's the pinnacle of unbelief to do, a, to do what Martha did. And to say at the point of testing, well, you don't, you don't realize how many times this has not worked. <laughs> I mean, you don't realize how many times this has gone the way I know it's going to go. No, you don't realize that Jesus changes everything. Nothing's the same when he speaks the truth and reveals his reality in it. Jesus is preeminently concerned that people believe what it is he says. Look at what happens when he gets to the graveside. He says, take away the stone. They finally do it. But look at what he says in verse 41. When they took away the stone, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that hurtest me. 
that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe. What did he say to Martha in verse 40? I said I not to thee that if thou wouldst believe. What did he say to verse 26? Believest thou this? What did he say to the disciples? I'm glad for your sakes that he died to, in the, so that you will believe. What's he doing here? He's bringing people through to believe. He's bringing them through faith. In verse 45, that many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed. <laughs> Great. That's what he can do for you. That's what he can do for me. To believe his realities in a practical nuts and bolts way and to see that reality take hold in our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for changing the things that we see as abysmal and dismal and stuck. Thank you for transforming us and making us into your own image. Thank you for speaking to us at all and giving us what we need. Thank you for loving us and knowing how to do that perfectly to bring us through to faith. Lord, please bring us through to faith. Please keep speaking to us in the middle of our needs. Lord, give us an opportunity today to exercise faith in your realities, in your revealed truths, and to see it in our life today. Lord, bring us through to be like the Apostle Paul, who knows that your word trumps what he sees. And turn us Marthas into people who trust you and believe you, right where it hurts the most, right where the, moment, where the friction is. Thank you that you can do this. And Lord, we are excited to see it done. We rest in you, Lord Jesus. Amen.